tonight. It's Halloween movies adapted for the stage. Beetlejuice versus the Addams Family. This is musical theater death match. <laughs> Theater Deathmatch, the podcast where two recovering theater kids pit two musicals against each other and try to determine which is the better show. My name is Kelsey Goldman. And I am Andrew Favaloro. Kelsey, how have you been? Any, how's your computer? Is everything okay with your computer? <laughs> um, I think it's okay. It's maybe a little old, but uh, this just reminded me that I need to back it up uh, tonight while I'm sleeping because... Mm-hmm. Uh, Things happen, and the podcast Krampus gets you sometimes. The podcast Krampus, for those of you who don't know, like fucking morons, um, the podcast Krampus is a very real thing that comes and occasionally steals your podcast out from under you. It's like sometimes maybe you're, I don't know, 45 minutes into a recording, and the Krampus shows up, and what are you supposed to do but start all over? We've already done this banter once, but I'm going to go in a whole new direction. Last time we had to talk about hockey because you like hockey, but instead this time we're going to talk about the one sport I like, yeah. which is American Ninja Warrior. We're back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we're back. They're in a bubble. Nobody got mysteriously cut out of the show. <laughs> um, nothing is wrong here. <laughs> nothing is wrong here. Uh, no, I, I'm... Super thrilled about American Ninja Warrior. By the time this episode comes out, the season will be done. But that's okay. I'm glad it's here while it lasted. Uh, It'll be just about done. There's three more episodes left. Oh, they really condensed it this year, huh? Yeah, they they got rid of... Or they're not doing Vegas in a traditional sense. They're not doing like a super hard obstacle course at the end. I guess they're also not really doing city finals because they're all in the same city. Right. <laughs> and That they, makes sense. They had four nights of qualifiers where usually they have six. And then they're going to have two nights of semifinals whittling those four down. Normally they would have six again. And then we'd like, yeah, it's a whole thing. But if but, you want to hear about everything American Ninja Warrior, you should check out Andrew Ninja Warrior, the now complete but very wonderful podcast. Yeah, if you if you want to listen to a podcast like you read a novel where you're like, ah, this has a beginning, middle, and end. Have I got the show for you? Sometimes that's what I want, Andrew. I understand. I understand. Um but, Kelsey, enough out of the two of us. Nobody came here to listen to us. They came to hear from our guest. Would you like to welcome him into the room? Yes, I would love to welcome him into the room. Um, our guest this <laughs> evening is my intrepid co-host on my other podcast for In My Life, my partner in Classic Capers, one of my very best friends, a very funny man, Jason Edwards. Thank you. Thank you. So nice to be here in the room. In the room. The digital room. Uh, pff, I don't know what you're talking about. We are in a studio, Kelsey. Come on. Yes, I, I believe the, the, the fiction we established in the uh, Lost Forever first take of this <laughs> is that we are all in a room together. And I believe there is, this, there is a, an employee named Ryan, if I got that right, who is nearby. That is right. 
Okay, he's, our, just, he's our booking agent, yeah. Just so everyone knows the graph. Wait, is Ryan the booking agent or the engineer? Because it seems like Andrew was giving him orders to like cut and like edit at certain points. He's a jack of all trades. <laughs> okay. I think you all need to have this discussion amongst yourselves. With Ryan, probably. And, de- and, de- and determine determine what the, uh, the undergirding uh, rules of the, of the fiction here are. Anyway, great yeah. to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. We're real excited. Um, yeah, Jason, how is your October going? It's going pretty good. Uh, you know, watching a lot of spooky stuff. I mean, I mm-hmm. always do, but now it's like, okay, got to really knuckle down and get serious. Um, right. Because pe- people, you know, really get into it around this time of year, and I, I can't get left in the dust, you know? I got I to mainline at least one like entire franchise um i gotta i gotta attend you know a, a virtual film festival if i can you know just just trying to get my fix any way i can trying to f- explore new avenue avenues i'm thinking about pivoting to to being really into short films interesting Ooh. yeah yeah this this is this is a this is a weird time to, to plug this but the eye slicer is a uh, collective slash like internet independent television show comprised of short films and i was caught their halloween special via the Nightstream Film Festival. And it was so good, it made me into a, a shorts guy. I don't know if being a shorts guy is a thing. I like it for you. It's definitely weirder in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> Wordplay, I get it. <laughs> Still the champ. Still yes, the yes. king. As we like to say, yes, good joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Still got it. Um, so, so you told me off air that uh, you're currently watching all of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Where are you in that watch through? Well, last night we watched. Uh, a, uh, wait, how does it go? Sorry, there, there's the new Blood later on, but we watched a new beginning, which is the fifth entry into the uh, the series. And um, I swear to God, once when I was in high school, I turned on TNT and Cheech and Chong were in a friday the 13th movie uh, can you tell me if i was stoned we haven't gotten there we haven't gotten there oh sorry spoilers 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 spoilers. (laughs) trying to go in fresh (laughs) trying to go in fresh man Uh, all right should we get to what we came here to do yeah i think that was some quality banter thank you we can uh we can check off the banter from our list (laughs) which is a bit from the (laughs) the last episode that i won't let go check uh, I like that we're going all in on referencing the lost episode, <laughs> and I think we should we should like we should de- we should denote every single bit we do on this episode with like yes that was fun but you should have heard the lost you should have heard it you should have heard oh, it. you should have been there man oh it was, man it was like a toot and a snore in seventy four it was a beautiful lost to the ages uh, collaboration tell you what if you contribute to our Patreon we will <laughs> give you two thirds of the lost episode. <laughs> You can no, it'll be a fun interactive thing. You can have two thirds, <laughs> and and you just have to fill in where I am missing. This is part of our larger uh, B Kelsey for a day competition that we're going to be exactly. running later on this year. It's a podcast karaoke. It combines all of our favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> just getting in a room with a bunch of your friends and uh, you know uh, talking along to your favorite episode of Radio Lab. I mean, the sound design's so good, like, you're going to have a great backing track. Totally. <laughs> I just, and then you you know there's going to be that one person who gets up and does an entire fucking episode of This American Life, and it's like, Ugh. come on, read the room, you're not supposed to think over 15 minutes. <laughs> Those are just the rules. Uh. Unwritten rules, you got to follow them. Podcast karaoke. <laughs> I like that you ended that with the, with the phrase podcast karaoke. Is that that would make it make more sense? <laughs> if we say it enough, it'll 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 manifest. It'll take take root in people's minds, and they'll think it's a real thing. Oh boy. I mean, 
anyway, we're not here for that. We're here to talk about musical theater. Yes, Kelsey, why don't you remind us of the rules of this here show that we are on? Um, so, we are going to pit two musicals against each other. We'll start with a brief um, contextual and historical introduction of both musicals, as well as a plot summary of both musicals. <laughs> um, we'll then discuss the pros and cons of each show. And when we're ready, we'll call for a vote, and one uh, of the musicals will be declared the winner. That's right. Uh, Kelsey, why don't you get us started with Beetlejuice? Okay. So, Beetlejuice is a musical based on the 1988 film of the same name by Tim Burton. Music by Danny Elfman. Um, The musical opened on Broadway in April of 2019 and ran until it was shut down by the COVID-19 pandemic. In March of 2020, it has now chosen to close because of the pandemic. Um, It will not reopen should Broadway reopen in some sort of timely manner. So it ran for about a year and a half. The music and lyrics are by Eddie Perfect. um, And it, you know, did okay, I guess. The musical follows the story of Beetlejuice, a dead being of some kind. It's not really established if he's a ghost or just like a thing. As well as the story of Lydia Dietz, a teenage girl who has recently lost her mother. And basically, Beetlejuice wants to become human again. And to do that, he needs to, I guess, bond, I guess, marry a human person. But he cannot communicate with normal human people. He is dead. So he enlists some recently dead people, Adam and Barbara Maitland, who are played by Carrie Butler and Rob McClure to haunt their home, which the Dietz family have moved into after Lydia's mother's passing. So it's the story of a a goth-depressed teenage girl making friends with a dead man and learning to love her stepmother. It was nominated for several Tonys for both scenic design and a a lot for the design of the musical, which it is, the design of the musical is pretty... um, Pretty good, I will say, Um, but we'll get into that later, as well as Best Original Score and Best Book and Best Musical, as well as Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Alex Brightman, who plays Beetlejuice. Uh, It also stars, as I said, Carrie Butler and Rob McClure, and then breakout role, uh, Sophia Ann Caruso, who plays Lydia, and then Leslie Kreitzer plays uh, Delia, who is the stepmother, but I think was my favorite part of this show, personally, until the end. Um, Until one specific part, but yeah. We'll get into that later. Thank you. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice the musical. (laughs) It's the story of a girl who cried a river and drowned the whole world. Hey, wait a second. That's a different story. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I I hate it when I try to take over a bit and you just beat the crap out of me with it. Anyway. (laughs) Um, I'm here to talk to you about the Addams Family musical, which of course opened on Broadway in April of 2010 and closed in December of 2011. Music and lyrics were written by Andrew Lippa, and the book was written by Marshall Brickman and Rick Ellis. But of course, we probably need a little bit more historical context to take a look at what the Addams Family is really about. They um, started as a comic strip in the New Yorker magazine in 1938, created by a man named Charles Adams. In the following century, there was a television series in the 60s, a different television series in the 70s, a different television series in the 90s. There was a film franchise in the 70s, if you count Scooby-Doo movies, a film franchise in the 90s. Uh, and now there is a new CGI film franchise that's about that just announced they're doing a sequel. 
in general, the comedy of the Adam family comes from the fact that it's this aristocratic, or aristocratic family in a well-to-do neighborhood and a mansion, but they're deeply weird, deeply macabre. First off, I'm going to re-record that word. How the fuck do you say that word? Macabre? Macabre? I give up. Uh, they're deeply weird. They're deeply macabre. Who knows? Maybe immortal? They never quite clear that up for me. <laughs> Our main characters include Gomez and Marticia, who are their parents, and oddly amorous most of the time. Wednesday and Pugsley, who are their children, who love to literally torment each other. Uncle Fester and Grandmama. And then their servants, um, I guess. Uh, there's Lurch, who's a Frankenstein monster. Cousin It, who is a sentient hairball. And Thing, who is a disembodied hand. And that that's just the Adam family in a historical context, but the musical focuses around Wednesday, their teenage daughter, their teenage goth daughter, um, introducing her family to her boyfriend, Lucas Beinecke, and her boyfriend's family. The Adamses are, of course, weird. The Beineckes are from Ohio. There are lots of hijinks, and by the end of the show, everybody learns to love and accept one another. They learn to communicate better. They learn about what makes a good relationship work. Uh, the original Broadway cast includes Nathan Lane as Gomez. You know Nathan Lane from just about everything. B.B. Newworth from Cheers as Morticia. Krista Rodriguez from Smash, Quantico, Trial and Error, the Spring Awakening revival. She's playing Wednesday. And Terrence Mann, who originated the roles of Javert on In Les Miserables, The Beast and Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. He is playing Lucas's father. At the 2010 Tony Awards, it was nominated for Best Score, and Kevin Chamberlain was nominated uh, for Best Supporting Actor as Fester. It did not win either of those awards. And that is The Addams Family. Jason, do you want to talk to us about your personal connection to either of these shows, their surrounding properties, your experiences with musicals or spooky in general? The floor is yours. Yes, I do want to do that. So I have only seen one of these shows... Uh, I, I will leave further discussion of that experience till later. The other one I have experienced through the magic of the internet. I don't know what the status of the legality of this is, but I saw what is what is a pretty professionally filmed version of the Cumberland Valley High School performance from Shout last out to year, Cumberland Valley. Which, by the way, yeah, kudos to those kids. Great work there, and they have they have a they have they have a massive uh, musical theater program. It would appear from from this, but yeah, very very good work from those kids. That was the touring version of the show. I'm aware of the differences between the two versions, but I have only really seen, quote-unquote, the, the touring version. Besides that, you know, the, the thing is there aren't a lot of spooky mm-hmm. musicals. Um, I, w- I should say, well, for just just sort of to lay the groundwork, my favorite musical and what I believe is the best musical of all time uh, is Les Miserables. Number two is American Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> that that one's sort, of, sort of a personal pick. Uh, number one, I think, is indisputable personally. But you know, this is sort of like you know, this is where my this is where my head's at. This is my my taste. This is how I'm approaching this, mm-hmm. these projects. And so I appreciate that these are both spooky and sort of you know uh, creepy, kooky, kind of altogether ooky when you really mm-hmm. think about it. Um, and, but as far as you know, spooky musicals go, the slim pickings. Slim pick. I mean, there's there's stuff like you know, I guess Sweeney Todd from your last episode is a good example. Um, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, kind of. It's really more about America and imperialism, which is maybe the greatest horror of all if you think about it. Yeah, you're not wrong. So yeah, and I, and I, you know, as we've alluded to previously, I'm a big fan of horror themed stuff and spooky stuff. Uh, have not seen the Beetlejuice movie uh, critically. I have not seen it all the way through. I've seen parts. Uh, which is the thing that people say, and it's always like, what does that mean? You've seen parts. 
how does that work? But let's just leave it at that. I've seen parts of it. I think, you know, something like the Beetlejuice movie is in the zeitgeist and you, like, I... I've definitely seen it all the way through once, mm-hmm. but like I feel like I'm much more familiar with like parts. Of it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. The reason that people have only ever seen parts of it is that it was always on Fox Family before it was ABC Family before it was Freeform between like 4:30 and 6:30, and so you just come home from school, you turn on Fox Family like you do, Channel 26. Shout out Reading, Massachusetts, and. It's just at a random part in this movie, and you watch it for 10 minutes, and then you say, oh, crap, now i got to go do my Algebra 2 homework. That's how you do it. It's an experience we're all familiar with. <laughs> do you have anything more you wanted to say about the Adam family? No, I, I think it's the Adam's family thing is weird. I don't understand <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> in that they are a mirror image of the typical American family, but they're also a rich, aristocratic, like old-world, uh, wealthy family. But mm-hmm. they're also like dark and macabre. That's uh, how you say that word. <laughs> it's a it's a fun idea, and I and I and I, and I have a great fondness for the um, the Adams family, like the cartoon from the '90s and the sitcom from the '60s. Mm-hmm. I like them both. Um, they're not a big part of my life, though. Gotcha. So I, I really I was going in both these pretty. I think on a pretty pretty even keel, you know, pretty fair, pretty yeah. open minded, pretty you know, wisened through my years, um, experience, yeah. critically you know, evaluating these with a clear eye and a, and, a, and, a, and a clear heart. That's good. Can't lose. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, before we get into pitting these shows against each other, I have a segment I'd like to introduce. Um, it is a it is a new segment for our listeners. It is a slightly less new segment to people who <laughs> are familiar with a certain lost episode of this podcast. <laughs> um, but this segment is uh, tentatively entitled Previous Credits Include. What I have done is I have gone to Playbill.com, where you can find any Playbill from any opening night of any show, apparently, or at the very least, The Adam Family and Beetlejuice. Um, and I have read through our cast and creative bios of the creative team. Uh, I have pulled out selections from them. Uh, I'm going to read them to you. I want you guys to try to guess if it is someone from either The Adam Family or from Beetlejuice. Extra points if you can guess who it's referring to, either by their role in the production or the creative's name. So, uh, saying this all for the first time, this performer appeared in the original Broadway casts of In the Heights, Spring Awakenings, and Good Vibrations. Also, the national tour of The Boyfriend, as directed by Julie Andrews, and the title role of Gidget, the musical, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. She was also recently seen in an episode of Gossip Girl. That's Krista Rodriguez, right? It 100% is Krista Rodriguez, Wednesday Adams from the Adams Family. Um, man, I wish this were competitive. You guys would have so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, our next one, it says, This person is a writer and Tony-nominated actor who has been on, on Broadway in Wicked and Glory Days, has been on TV in Important Things with Dimitri Martin, and in one horror film where he was brutally murdered on a toilet. Is that Beetlejuice? It is Beetlejuice. Do you want to try to guess who specifically? Is it Eddie Perfect who wrote the score? No, it's actually Alex Brightman. Alex Brightman really? is, is a writer, as it turns out. Um, I I had to like redact some of this stuff because if I had said anything that was that came out post two thousand ten, you'd be like, oh, obviously this is a Beetlejuice one. Um, but yeah, he's he's got a couple of workshop. I think they're musicals. They might be plays. Wait, what, what is the horror film where, where he was uh, murdered on the toilet? You know, he didn't list it by name. Okay. This is, 
This is literally a pull from his cat bio. In okay, one horror okay. film, he was brutally murdered on a toilet. Right, I'm guessing based on his very limited appearance in films on his Wikipedia page, this is uh, Red Hook, 2009, which is not notable enough to have a Wikipedia entry. So my horror fan bona fides are unquestioned. Okay, <laughs> unquestioned. That doesn't that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Doesn't count. All right, this next one it just says, "Is not Tim Minchin? Please stop asking." That's going to be Eddie Perfect. That is Eddie Perfect, who wrote the music and lyrics for Beetlejuice. That's actually not in his cat's bio. That's a joke that I threw in. Here is, <laughs> here is the most bonkers one of all. Film, parentheses, as co-author. Sleeper. Annie Hall, parentheses, Academy Award. Manhattan. Manhattan Murder Mystery. The Manhattan Project. Television. The Johnny Carson Show. The Dick Cavett Show, where he was a head writer and producer. Guys, was the writer of The Addams Family? or Beetlejuice, an Academy Award-winning writer of Annie Hall. Oh, the writer. Okay. Wait, no, Nathan Lane was the lost episode one. My bad. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the, the writer, the, like the, the book writer? The book writer. I gotta assume it was the Addams Family. Uh, yeah, yeah. I want to say the Addams Family, too. It is. Uh, this is Marshall Brickman. He wrote the book for the Adam family. He co-wrote Annie Hall and won, a t- uh, won, won an Oscar for it. And he was the head writer on the Dick Cavett show, which I just find absolutely bonkers. And I was a little worried that Jason would be like, Marshall Brickman, that name sounds familiar. <laughs> I, I only guess that because I looked through the, uh, the the book writing team for Beetlejuice and it was significantly less prestigious than any uh, of the yeah. films you mentioned. Yep. So let's let's dive into these shows. Should we start with Adam Family or Beetlejuice? Where do we where do we go from here? I think that depends on what you want the tenor of the conversation to be. Great. Let's start with the Adam Family. <laughs> Great. Um, I'd like to I'd like to tell a little story about how I came to discover the Adam Family, which is that in 2010, I was a very sad grad student studying physics, uh, and decided to go on a spree and download a whole bunch of musicals I had always heard about and never listened to. This is the first time I really was introduced to Stephen Sondheim. But also came across a... I swear to God, I came across that Jennifer Damiano was in tryouts for this show. That is a falsehood. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> but I downloaded the Adam Family uh, soundtrack in 2010, and I have loved that album for a good decade. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think it is all about Krista Rodriguez, who is just incredible as Wednesday Adams. And in particular, I think that uh, the duet I Am Crazier Than You is like mm-hmm. a top-notch musical theater duet. So that's where we're going to start this conversation. I think that is a good read of it. I think that that's a good point. I think that Crazier Than You is unique to the show. And it is like it's sort of a weird song that is could only take place in a world like this. But it is a good classic duet uh with a funny kooky spin Mm -hmm. um so yeah andrew i think i agree with that at the very least yeah i think um so one of like the comparison points i had these musicals was that like um the 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 score and the music and lyrics in general for this for the adams family is cohesive in a way that i really enjoy like it is stylistically samey which i think works really well um which we'll get to the opposite of that when we talk to uh, we talk about uh Beetlejuice but um like it feels like a world was built with the songs it's like you can sit down and listen to the songs and feel like you know you understand sort of what the vibe of the musical is 
mm-hmm. um, which I really appreciate. And I really, th- I think Andrew Lippa is a really under- underrated composer. <laughs> um, he's done so much, so many shows that like some of which are good, some of which are bad. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, he, he did I think Big is, Fish, right? Yeah, he did Big Fish, which I love the music of, but is like kind of a bad musical. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I love the music. I love uh, I love Norbert Leo Buds who started in it. It was only open for a very brief period, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I love the music in that. And it feels it feels different from this music. It doesn't, you know, like I feel like Andrew Lippa is very good at creating like a, a mood with his mm-hmm. music. Um, he did "You're a Good Man," Charlie Brown. He did. He worked on that a little bit. He didn't do all of it, but he was a musical supervisor for it. Okay. Um, I'm assuming you mean the revival and not the original production from the '60s. Yeah, the 1999 one. Okay, that makes a lot um, more sense. He, he did he did arrangements for it. Um, yeah. I believe his like his most well known or like in musical theater circles thing is the Wild Party, which like I don't really love, but is like when I was like a musical theater kid in high school was like a thing that like deep cut musical theater kids were into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, really, I've never heard of it. Can you explain like what it is and why it was such a thing? It's like a that? it's about a party that's pretty wild. Sick, <laughs> nice. No, actually, I don't. I don't know much about the show either. I I just like I've listened to the soundtrack a couple times, and it's never really like um like caught with me personally. It's from the late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like one of those. It's based on a nineteen twenty eight narrative poem, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's basically like a like a a twenties like party. Mm-hmm. like sort of goes through that it's, it's it's conceptual in a weird way i think oh, okay. but it was just like it was like one of those things you know that i've i've never seen it so i can't really speak to it but i know that it was one of those things that, like the theater kids that i was like that i like looked up to and thought were cool were like into it you know yeah it's like hey kid when you get done with a uh, wicked uh come to me and I'll, I'll hook you up with the hard stuff yeah exactly exactly, exactly. the real shit um but yeah my my um he also did john and jen he's he's done like he's he's a talented composer and i think underrated um (laughs) personally um but i so i really love the music from um big fish um i like i saw it and i don't think it's that great of a musical because the book's not great but i like the music a lot and i like andrew lippa and i think he really does a good job of creating like a very specific mood for this show um, and I appreciate it a lot. So, like, I think the music is, like, one of the things that works. But another, like, issue I have with a lot of Andrew Lippa's music is that it's good, but it's not memorable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, as we were talking about, like, on the last episode, like, the the karaoke quotient of this show is is low. Yeah, it is. It's just, I'm crazier than you. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I think Pulled is a really good song, too. And the show is, like, all about Chris Rodriguez. Like, I think she has the best the best numbers and, like, also kills it in the performance, personally. Yeah. But, like, those are the two songs that I think are memorable, and the rest of them aren't really as much so. I wish they had used the sort of iconic Adam's vamp a little more. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So, like, the music is good, but it's not memorable. And I think lyrically... Especially, it's not memorable, which is uh, a little bit upsetting. Yeah, I agree. Some of the some of the lyrics felt like very lazy to me. I don't know. I'm kind of hard of hearing. I like don't always get every lyric on the first time, and so for something to jump out as being as lazy as um, 
oh god what's the song that gomez sings um there it's just like full of bad contradictions yeah i i I wish that some of the lyrics were were more interesting i i agree with you jason yeah i think there's not a lot of standout moments or songs but Mm -hmm. i think it is it is very consistent Mm -hmm. which and it really and it creates a mood it creates an overall mood and feeling that i think is is very like enjoyable and is like very much is like fits with the adams family like aesthetic and spirit and it communicates that that very well uh, through through it's a very simple plot. It literally is like the the, the you know uh, a girl's bringing her her boyfriend over and her his parents for dinner, which is like maybe the most basic plot you could possibly do. Right. But I think they you know they use that to to really to to build this this little world, and it is you know it is not entirely like it doesn't wow you really, but I think it's very solid. It's very sturdy, is what I think about when I think of this show. It's very you know the whole thing is feels right it feels good there doesn't things don't really nothing none of the songs feel out of place or or all or you know stylistically uh, inappropriate or uh bad you know nothing nothing is like out and out bad i would say yeah i i, I agree with that i agree with you and i think that there's something that's kind of interesting about the lyrics not like sticking out in your mind that much it's that mm-hmm. uh every now and then when i do decide you know what i really love crazy i'm crazier than you i'm going to listen to all of the adam family which is a real thought i have about once a year um <laughs> i have completely forgotten all of the other lyrics of the songs and the jokes get me every time like <laughs> when when the grandmother's singing ah, let's not talk about anything else but I love like that that reprise is hysterical just because the grandmother is the kookiest the ookiest uh <laughs> Of ever and I don't know. I think, I think it really works for that. Yeah, there's there's something to like the uh, <laughs> like when, when Fester does the whole you know was Napoleon right for Josephine was Nazi right for Dramamine uh, were you folks right for the mezzanine? It's not <laughs> stuff like that where it's like it's just funny enough yeah. to work in the moment and you know if you saw it live you you would laugh right yeah um, but not funny enough for you to remember it and for the joke to sort of like play over and over again in your head so when you hear it again it still works exactly. Which is, like, I think what, like, honestly, I think is, like, I'm surprised this didn't run for longer because I feel like that's, like, what you kind of want a successful musical to do, oh, yeah. right? You want it to, like, leave you with a good feeling and tell other people to go see it, but not, like, so memorable that, like, it ruins the, like, you know, being there situation. That's a good point because th- this should have run for longer because it's based on, a, like, a, a huge IP, one that, as we've said I remember. I don't remember if it was in this version or the last episode. Has run for like nearly a hundred years. This the Adams family has been around for, right? So people know this, and the musical is like solid enough that it should. I mean, obviously it was big enough to you know, it, it toured uh, at the very least. But it's funny to me that it only ran for as long as it did because it seems like built to stick around. Yeah. So I, I I actually pulled some numbers on this. Would you guys like to guess how much money this show made? opening weekend in ticket sales no because i have no idea how to gauge that a million dollars eight hundred and fifty one thousand dollars in ticket sales opening weekend 15 million dollars in advance sales which i guess that's really just a statistic for sarah who can tell us whether or not that means (laughs) anything in two thousand and ten dollars but hey it sounds like a lot but i I guess i don't know i don't actually know i i think for me like the 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 part because like i don't think this is a good show Right. <laughs> um, I mean, and I'll like full disclosure. Ah, that's from the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. St- 
Bill got it. I have not seen this show live. I have uh, consumed this show through means that will not be mentioned <laughs> on on the podcast. We all know that bootlegs exist, and I feel like to get an idea of what it is, I've heard, I've, I've, yeah. I'm familiar with the soundtrack, and um, I wanted to sort of get an idea of what the show was like. So, right. I yeah. tracked down um, something. But I don't think this is a good show, and I think part of the reason I don't think it's a good show is because I think they actually went too big with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this show would really benefit from, um, like, going all in on the sort of, like, sitcom style, like, get rid of the ghost chorus. Like, you don't need that. It's not necessary. Um, you know, just have one set, like an old freaking Agatha Christie mystery play, just like the living room set of the Adams house and like have that be the thing and just make it like a, a lot smaller because it's that makes the whole thing kind of funnier, you know? Yeah. If um, you're interested in that, may I recommend the Cumberland Valley <laughs> High School production <laughs> of the touring show? Because the touring version... Because they can't have the giant squid, which is such a like a major plot point in the second act, especially they can't have that for the touring version, right? And the, the, the Cumberland Valley High School production uh, in, last year in Pennsylvania uh, was the tour production. And what that does is how they change it is that in the first act, um, Wednesday has already uh, asked her boyfriend to marry her, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or they're already they're already engaged, and mm-hmm. she tells Gomez, so he knows, but she makes him promise not to tell Morticia. Okay. So throughout the first act, basically until the you know, the the full disclosure scene, there's a very sitcommy thing going mm-hmm. on, where where he's trying to hide the secret from his wife. Okay. And I think I think that actually does do a little bit of what you're talking about. Yeah, I feel like that would make the show better. Yeah, and it gives a little bit more conflict between like you know because it's nice to see because you know Gomez and Morticia's whole thing is that they love each other and it's very obvious and, and very, that's nice to see. They're very <laughs> amorous and it's really cool, but it yeah. is kind of you know it's nice to have a little bit of conflict there. That even if it is, you know, incredibly contrived, uh, gives you, like, you know, those characters something to do individually. Well, if you want to talk about incredibly contrived, I'm pretty sure that in the Broadway version, (laughs) he accidentally insults her by comparing her to a goat or something. And that, like, the conflict you're referring to is still there between the two of them, but it is so much shallower. Yeah. The, The Broadway version to me feels like someone in a casting office somewhere was like, okay, B.B. Newworth. Nathan Lane. We can't go wrong. Like, we don't even have to think about the book. It's these two people. Like, and that it feels like they didn't give much thought to like the jokes beyond that personally, and like the the actual structure because so because it feels so contrived in a way that's not fun in a lot of ways. And I like the whole ghost chorus thing and and Fester being the narrator kind of like. Mm-hmm. I don't love because it doesn't feel like the Adams family right. and like the vibe of that. And I wish that they hadn't done that. And it just, it's like too big. Again, when you see it with the Cumberland Valley kids on, on, the, on the stage there, that, that conceit makes sense because it's like, and I thought that was just for the touring company, right? Or the yeah. touring production. Because that's a thing you would only do if you need to justify, look, we got to get the whole chorus in here. We got to get all these kids who want to try out for this. Yeah. They've all got to have a part, right? How about yeah. if Gomez just like, I don't know, has a bunch of ghosts with him for no reason, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever. So it makes sense. It, actually, this show is made to be performed at, at, like, at like nice high schools. Yeah. <laughs> high schools with big theater programs. Edward yes. R. Murrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it's important, though, to, to point out that Nathan Lane and B.B. And Newworth in particular, did a great job. Uh, they, are, they are so funny, I think. Like, Nathan Lane, 
Nathan Lane occasionally just seems almost too much of a parody of himself at times <laughs> that when he yeah. does sit down and actually play a role and like give it his all and uh, you know whether that's in the the OJ show where he is really chilling and racist and North Carolinian or in this where he is like hamming it up and you know you thought Nathan Lane was a parody of himself before wait till you watch this he's just like so over the top and so funny and he lands it each and every time it's incredible yeah he's he's great and he knew exactly what he was doing my my last two notes on this this show are the stakes were too both too high and not high enough (laughs) classic musical theater and then B.B. Newworth can get it. <laughs> Those are my last two notes. <laughs> Both are true. Yeah. Um, I'm sadly not too familiar with B.B. Newworth's work, although I, you know, scrolling through her credits right now, I've definitely seen her in things, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. But yeah, man, uh, Nathan Lane is just like, he's almost too good, yeah. you know? It's like he's so good that he can like just like kick back and coast a lot of the time. But no, you're right. When he, when he, put, when he applies himself, it's really fantastic. I'm glad that they adapted this differently for the touring and for like the the school production, et cetera, because I feel like I would have trouble enjoying it as much as I did if it was not Nathan Lane because he brings so much to the role. That actually brings up a question, and I think it's going to kind of segue into Beetlejuice of do you think either of these shows ever really could be revived on Broadway? Because they, they both kind of seem like they are... Uh, self-aware cash grabs like it's they, they know that we're doing an adaptation we know that Broadway has a lot of adaptations lately let's give it a shot um, and they both kind of seem to to ride on their initial casting so much like Gomez seems so written for Nathan Lane I can't imagine anyone else like Matthew Broderick in there no get out of here even Alex Brightman in there I don't think he could do it the same way the thing is, I would like to see right. that, personally. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry. No. Yes to Andrew, he could not do it. No to Kelsey, I don't want to see it. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to give my, make my voice heard, please. I will, so, please I don't... I, I think that the Adams Family, because the property in general is so... has so much longevity there is potential for it to be revived, especially if they've tweaked some things in the touring cast that they could also tweak in a revival. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, I think to make it better, you don't necessarily have to change like the book or the, the music. I think you need to change the staging. And like one of the things I hated about the, um, I mean, I guess maybe the bootleg I watched, but I was trying to watch to see if I was like missing things. And I didn't think that I was, was that there is like no choreography in this show. There's so little, it's very like stop and sing. Mm -hmm. And that really bothered me in a way, which is why I wanted it to be smaller. Right. Cause if you're going to do that, you don't need this giant stage with these big steps and stuff. Like, um, it's just a lot of like stop and sing and I'm fine. Just listening to, to Nathan Lane and Chris Rodriguez and BB new with just stop and sing and emote to the audience. That's fine. But like the stage that they're doing it on isn't conducive to that. So I do feel like there is potential for even an improved revival of this show. It would be hard to get the right, cast but i think it's possible Mm -hmm. because even if you get like a no name that's like do your best nathan lane they could probably do it maybe (laughs) 
you you would need a cast so good. You would need like those two roles, uh, Gomez and Marticia cast, to where people would hear those names and be like, "I gotta right. see this." And and maybe I think you could revive if you did that. If you nailed that, you could do it. I I think that this Gomez seems tailor written for Nathan Lane, and like whoever comes in next, it would it would kind of almost need to be like a Doctor Who phenomenon of like a writer would have to come on and rewrite it specifically to fit like a glove on this actor. And I think that Gomez like can be played in a bunch of different ways. I don't think I ever would have thought of Gomez as like, that's a stupid sentence, but um, (laughs) like Nathan Lane is so over the top and obviously Gomez is too, but that wouldn't have been like my first thought of it. And like now it is kind of more married to that. And I think someone else could come in and have yeah. a different spin on it. Uh, and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's what Gomez is all about. Like I think lots of people could take it lots of different directions, but I don't, I think it would have to be rewritten for whoever comes in. I do not think uh, Beetlejuice could be revived. Interesting. Why not, Jason? So I guess, I guess we, we're segging into, we're, we're yeah. making a segue uh, into yeah. the, the Beetlejuice musical. Act two, if you will. Uh, oh, oh, no intermission. Straight in and out. <laughs> Ninety minutes. That's the Straight way it should in. be. Um. So, so you all probably know my wife Sarah uh, used to work in the theater industry, and thus would get free tickets to shows occasionally. Mm-hmm. And she would take, she would, you know, graciously take me to many of these shows. And we, she took me to Beetlejuice like around the time it opened in April, um, or April twenty nineteen. I don't know when the actual opening date was. I remember it was the day that. The trailer for uh, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker <laughs> came out. Wait, so no, I, that what 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 came out? The trailer for what? Yeah, right. Um, sorry, <laughs> that, that that was a weird. I don't know what happened there. That must have been like a uh, a minor. Uh, it was you know, an audio uh, glitch. It's really hard to record over Zoom, guys. Yeah, I don't. That was like a weird thing. I don't know if I got like unfriended or something. But like my audio kind of messed up there for a second. Yeah. Anyway, we saw it. And I was uh, I, I was so negative about it that Sarah said I'm not going to take you to any more of these, <laughs> and 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 listener she never did because that's not true that's not true that's not true right before she left that job she got she scored us tickets for God bless her she scored us tickets for Chris Angel, the Mind Freak on Broadway unplugged or whatever that show was called anyway that was great that rules Chris Angel by the way just one of the few. Magicians is apparently not just a totally awful guy. So shout out Chris Angel. Uh, do you think that Chris uh, Angel could play Beetlejuice? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was, um, you know, I think anyone who who knows me knows that I have sort of a very specific um, taste when it comes to theater. And I have an issue where if I get, uh, if I'm not on board with something, if it doesn't get me on board uh, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. I will turn on it pretty hard. Uh, I don't. I don't like that. I'm not like proud of that, but it is who I am. And Beetlejuice, like just from, just from like the first, like from minute one, not even minute one, like minute three or four, <laughs> I was like totally off board. It's, I, it's, I I feel a little bad saying this, but the second that Alex Reitman was on stage, I was just like totally checked out, man. Interesting. Uh, Kelsey, did you also see this live? Because I did not. No. Um. I so when I first listened to the cast album, I was actually like thrilled to hear Alex Brightman sing. I think he um, he seems singularly talented. He spends the whole show doing like this incredibly painful sounding growl thing as Beetlejuice, um, and then points out to you that 
yeah, I'm doing this eight times a week. And then also he will sing beautifully at times. And I'm like technically very impressed at what he is pulling off in this role. It seems like he's also having a lot of fun, which counts for a lot. I'm glad he was having fun. (laughs) So I think Beetlejuice is your classic tale of adaptation (laughs) that tries to do too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that happens a lot. And, you know, you just get like from the off, though, like I, I do not understand starting with the death of Lydia's mom. It makes no (laughs) sense. It's like it doesn't make any sense at all narratively or like just general mood wise (laughs) yeah and and two different things are at play there one the like it is true that lydia is from her father's first marriage in the movie but i don't think they talk about her mom at all in the movie uh and secondly she sings this song about how her mom has just died and then spends half an hour off stage before she comes back on kelsey i i completely agree with you i think because it it is odd to begin a musical with a ballad like that right (laughs) And so it feels wrong from the get-go. And then that song is not not ended when Alex Brightman in the big old green wig and the white face name pops up and goes, a ballad first thing in the show? That sure is random. (laughs) What? And then he goes off and does his like 25 minute long opening like comedy number. And it just like, it's like, okay, am I supposed to care about Lydia? Because it doesn't seem like it because you've literally made a joke out of the the, the core emotional like like anchor of your show but then it, when it when she comes back in yes like half an hour later uh it's like it, it is very serious and you are clearly meant to follow her journey and relate to it and empathize with it and it's like i'm sorry you can't do both things you right. can't you can't open like that and then have it be a joke but also have it be serious so the book of this show is so bad. <laughs> yeah, it was it's, not written by an Academy Award winner. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not good. And it's honestly, it is saved. The show is saved a little bit by some of the performances because I don't think the performances are terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're particular. Like, I think, like you said, Andrew, Alex Brighton is doing a lot technically. <laughs> Am I enjoying it? I don't know. I literally don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to feel <laughs> about this character. Um, the book and lyrics do not serve his performance at all. No, not that. at all. And, and you know, and like his, that whole like 14 minute comedy number that you referenced <laughs> earlier should be the opening number. There's no reason that it shouldn't be the opening number. And it's just like, it's, it, it just, it's so confusing and I don't know what's happening. And it is just like a waste of Alex Brightman and a waste of, Carrie Butler and Rob McClure, like, they, they like, are forgotten about, basically, by, like, a, a fourth of the way into the show. Um, I will say that I appreciate Leslie Kritzer's um, dedication to the Catherine O'Hara character, mm-hmm. because literally I was watching it and I was like, she's really reminding me of Catherine O'Hara, and then I remembered that Catherine O'Hara actually <laughs> played that role in the in the movie, because I, I have been trying to watch Shit's Creek because it won all of the Emmys. And I was like, well, who does she remind me of? I was like, oh, it's Catherine O'Hara. And then I was like, oh, wait, Catherine O'Hara's in that movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she's very clearly doing a specific thing. Right. But it's also like the way that they kind of changed the, I mean, like, I, I don't know if I could tell you what the actual plot of the original movie is, but like the plot of this movie is to like sort of like accept your, your, you know, lot in that your mom is dead and you have a, new stepmother which you all know me that's not a super like great situation for me to identify with <laughs> um, 
<laughs> um, <laughs> and I just like I didn't feel like it was particularly sensitive to that situation. Like <laughs> no. her mom has been dead for what like three months at the most at the beginning of this like. You know, and like, obviously my mom's not dead. She's very alive and I love her very much. Um, (laughs) Hi, Julie. But I know what it's like to have a stepmother. And, you know, it doesn't always work out all rainbows. It's uh, it's strange to me that they make a few departures from the movie and seem simultaneously proud of themselves for making departures from the movie (laughs) and also so confused by the changes they've made. So, like, for for instance, uh, Catherine, O'Hara, Catherine O'Hara's character is introduced with Lydia's dad and also her, like, personal stylist, Otho, um, or something. And it took me forever to figure out who was married to whom, which is fine. That is a dynamic I am well familiar with. But, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but Otho is, like, introduced so much later in the in the show and he's like playing a completely different role and like shout out to kevin kelvin moon low he's great but he was just doing a different role in the show than he is in the movie and there was no need to change that like he could have he could have just done the role that was from the movie why do why complicate things they very like they very much overcomplicated a lot of things in the show that didn't need to be overcomplicated um and I think that is a thing that happens a lot in adaptations right. of movies, especially. Um, I think it just like the the underuse of Rob McClure and Carrie Butler. Like Carrie Butler is a musical theater treasure, and like she barely did anything in this show. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean, she also barely did anything in Mean Girls. Like she's like the, she's underused all the time, and it's very upsetting. Mm. But <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I just I think the 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 book is so overly complicated that any any like musical redemption or acting redemption is hard to find mm-hmm. or like hard to to get to but on that note i would like to talk about the music yeah mm-hmm. um because mr eddie perfect not to mention not to mention uh does not know what he wants to do here mm-hmm. from what i can say what i can tell because there are like four different styles of songs happening. And I will say, I think the songs in this show individually are more memorable than the songs in The Addams Family. But as musical theater songs, they work a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I, I can tell you, I don't know what Eddie, Eddie Perfect necessarily was trying to do. I can tell you, I, I can't confirm this um, on the podcast anyway, but I can tell you what it seems like the producers wanted him to do which was uh be tim mention interesting because this is clearly meant to be another show like matilda mm-hmm. that takes a dark property from the 80s and 90s or whatever and like revamp and like builds a musical out of it that is like emotionally involving but also like dark and like wicked and, and like funny and stuff yeah um and tim mention did a great job of that matilda an even better job of a similar thing in groundhog day which is a great show underrated show uh, but this is, you know, y- you can only do that if you're good at it, right? Uh, and Eddie Perfect is not good at it. And I, and I can say that because I, I am the only person here who has seen two Eddie Perfect shows live <laughs> in person. Because I saw King Kong on Broadway <laughs> before I saw Beetlejuice. Uh, or possibly after. The timeline's kind of weird for me about that. It was before. Things happen. It was before. Things happen. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I have I have an intimate familiarity with, with Mr. Perfect's work. Yeah. And let's just say the name is not appropriate. All right. Well, that does it for this show, I guess. We got the <laughs> one joke we've been looking for this whole time. Now, um, yeah, I actually... Kelsey, did you watch the show before listening to the album, or did you go album first? I watched the show gotcha. first. Yeah, going album first, I was like, I can see how this could be a, you know, not life-changing musical. I'm not going to, you know, completely redefine anything in my life the way I did after I saw the last five years for the first time. But, um, <laughs> like, I could see this being a perfectly fine musical. I really was expecting it to to fill the same place in my heart that Adam's Family did. Um, of just like it's got a couple of songs that I really like it's got a couple of performances that I really like I will go a few I'll go a year at a time listen to the album again laugh at the jokes I've forgotten and move on with my life Um, and then I watched the (laughs) freaking show and the book does such a disservice to the the perfectly mediocre music like some of the music is great some of the music is sad I don't understand how they took Deo and made it a low energy number. That was particularly impressive right? to me. Right? Um, like, it's even worse in the, like, like the sh- in the show. Like, when you're watching, I was like, why is this so low yeah. energy? It's so upsetting. Um, but it's very much like what they did um, in, and Kelsey, you and I saw this together, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that Oof. production from a couple years ago. Oof. Where the the show is full of original numbers, but they wanna they wanna get that juice, you know, from the original thing that you remember. They want you to go like, oh yeah, I remember that. So this is all original songs, right? Except for the end the end of the first act and the finale of the show, two numbers that should be where your your writer, like you, the, like the person writing the music and the lyrics, shines the most. You know, this is when they do their biggest, like wackiest, like most engaging stuff, right? Right. No, not in this show. In this show. The act break is Deo, and the finale is Jumping the, Jump line. the Line. Yeah, which are, I mean, which is like I get it. It's from the movie. I get it. I, I can watch the movie whenever I want. I mean, apparently none of us ever have, but we could in theory if we wanted. Yeah, to. we yeah exactly <laughs> exactly. Someday we'll talk about the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory musical because Beetlejuice is bad, but it's not as bad as that show. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I need to, I need to take a step back and appreciate the the Beetlejuice musical because it is not as bad as that was. Because I will say, production design Beetlejuice musical, very yeah. good, hmm. very good, high high quality production design. Looks I would great. say, I would actually say maybe better than the Adams mm-hmm. Family. Like, I think yeah. the Adams Family didn't go hard enough on the the creepy and kooky, as it were. Um, it's kind of a blank set, and that is a detractor right. for me because I think it could have been really fun. Um, the 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 production design of Beetlejuice really is good and does I do I do think evokes the original source material. Yeah, it feels very um, burnt. Yeah, and <laughs> it, it, it it kind of loses its way a little in the like underworld situation thing that happens. Yeah. Um, like I, I got I got I got such intense um, honeymoon in Vegas flashbacks from the entire underworld sequence. I mean, the the thing about the underworld sequence that bothered me the most was the Miss Argentina thing because it was just so upsetting <laughs> and wrong. And I'm like, why did you do this? It makes no sense. It was added after the tryout. And I'm like, who said this was a good idea? It's very bad. It's very racist. We need to not. <laughs> 
Again, um, honeymoon in Vegas to a T. Yeah, and that's and that's when I that's when I, when the show like officially lost me. Like it lost me really pretty early, but I thought maybe it was redeemable until then. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you guys happen to think at any point that Beetlejuice was referencing other musicals? I think they wanted to do that because um, here were the ones I caught early in the whole being dead thing. Beetlejuice says, the Sword of Damocles is swinging. And I was like, oh, that's weird. There's a song in Rocky Horror called The Sword of Damocles. It's just a coincidence. Towards the end, when there's the whole child bride sequence, he says, BJ's getting married. And I was like, now that is 100% Honeymoon in Vegas, which Robin McClure was also in. But the thing that sold it for me most of all is that in the whole Being Dead thing, he says both full disclosure and Dramamine. Two words that don't get a whole lot of use outside of the Adams Family musical, and I swear to God, he was pers- he was calling out Adam Family. Yeah. Andrew, you, you you had me until the last one there. Yeah, I, th- I think you you you've just you've lived in the world of the Adams Family musical for too long. It's warped your 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 sense of vision. Gra- grasping at straws, as it were. Who says Dramamine in musical theater other than the Adams Family? Somebody who wants to rhyme something that ends in eem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, nah, I'm right. <laughs> uh, if I if I could just take it, take another second to talk about the the, the whole being dead thing um, song, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I think well this this is a larger issue too. Is the show has the problem that I had with um, a gentleman's guide to love and murder? Ooh, yes. Let's talk the, about how bad that yeah, show is. Yeah, I don't, yeah. We don't have to go. We don't have to go all in on it, right? But it, it is a bad show, and it's bad because the lyrics of the show promise a thing the show cannot live up to. Both Beetlejuice and uh, A Gentleman's Guide open with songs that are like, "This is a this is a dark show, and it's going to be pretty dark." And like, you know, it promises mm-hmm. you a dark and witty, and like, you know, kind of like almost dangerous kind of time, right? You're gonna go, you're gonna experience some like really heavy dark stuff in like you know a light fun way. But neither show is funny or dark enough just justify like, because it's not a show about death. No. <laughs> It's a show about learning to love your family. Yeah, Adam and Barbara die, but they die, and then they like continue to grow as people, and like they they self actualize once they die. That's not what death is. Death is the <laughs> end of that process. You know what's a show about death, Jason? You know what's a show about death? What's that, Kelsey? American Psycho. American Psycho. American Psycho is also a show about being twenty six and living in New York City. That's also true. <laughs> Which is why I connected with it so. Hard. American Psycho is a good show. Great show. Well, Great well, show. Underrated. That, that that's that's ripe for a revival. Anyway, um, all right. Does anybody else have anything else to say about Beetlejuice? Oh wait, I, I actually do want to jump in and say <laughs> Sophia Ann Caruso is great. She sounds so good. So here's my thing, right? I think she's great. I think she's giving a good performance. The specific sound that she is giving us is so tonally different from every other mm-hmm. thing in the show that it bothered mm-hmm. me so much mm-hmm. because yeah. she sounds like a pop star or something or like something very specific that does not fit on on in this show and it yeah. it bothered me a lot like i don't think she sounds bad it's just like i'm not into the sound that is happening right <laughs> she's singing like like a pop star like a like a theater pop star crossover from from yeah. this decade yeah the song dead mom and i hate it because i love it for this reason sounds like a an alternative rock song from the middle of the last decade by oh, which I mean, you are a hundred percent correct. So I mean, two thousand five. I know it's not technically the last decade anymore, but like it's very like switch footy. Like it's sort uh-huh, of you know, uh-huh. it's in that world, and I kind of love it for that. And I hate myself for loving it. 
Um, is it any particular song? Because in my mind, I like keep trying to be like, oh, it is exactly, but I yeah, can't, I can't that's grab the thing. it. It's, it's like, it's like you would have to dig so deep into mid 2000s, like fuse TV style alt rock. Like it's probably like, there's probably a like red jumpsuit apparatus B side somewhere out there that sounds just like dead mom, you know, red, red jumpsuit apparatus. Is this thing, is this thing on? <laughs> oh, it is. Fa- face no, da- we can, we can face down. You. Face down by the red jumpsuit apparatus. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Ryan, you can cut it. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it but back. Yeah, I think like I, I think she's doing this this amazing job, like for what they've yeah. given her, but it just is so tonally dissonant from everything else in the show that it's very upsetting to me. Mm-hmm. I can I can feel that. And I yeah. feel bad because of it. And it's like because these shows are sort of similar in the way they're structured and the way they're like I think with Beetlejuice could really learn from the Adams family to simplify what they're doing because I think the thing that Adams family does well is that the story is so simple that they can just lean mm-hmm. into like the mood they're creating mm-hmm. and I think that Beetlejuice needed to do a little more of that. Um, yeah, Be- Beetlejuice does change his motivation I think three different times throughout the course <laughs> of this musical. Yeah. Cuz and I but like I think that Sophia and Caruso could be like really killing this and like be the standout of this show. And she almost is doing more of that, but you don't remember it as much because it's like not as good the way that Krista Rodriguez, mm-hmm. like the way that, that, that her role fits so well into everything in the other show. Cause they should be very similar. They should mm-hmm. be super similar roles. Like I would love just to hear Sophie and Caruso do Wednesday Adams. Like, yeah. I think that would be great. Like, but I just don't, I think that the, the book in particular kills this show so much and it's so upsetting. Yes. And this this will this this episode will in posterity maybe not make as much sense, but there was a particular like I built up a particular venom for um <laughs> I'm sorry, the whole being dead thing song. Yeah. Because uh after that came out, through the like like the award show season, through like the Macy's Day Parade, they kept bringing that song out and rewriting the lyrics to fit mm-hmm. the situation. And like that only works if the first version was funny and you want right. to hear it again. Um, but I didn't. Also, 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 I'll say this as well. The last original song in the show, Creepy Old Guy, I don't know if this comes through in the, the, the bootleg version, but definitely in the room feels like it comes out of nowhere and is trying to make a whole new like point, which is, you know, true. When women are harassed by men and creepy old guys do exist, but like, that's a whole other show, buddy. Save right. that for for your next thing. That that doesn't go in this. Yeah, it is worth noting that that is from the movie. Like, he does try to marry her at the end, and it is weird there too. Like, yeah, yeah, I but think, the, but the, the, they don't do a song about street harassment in the movie. That's true. And I think that that it like it's one of those things where it, like it it tries to adapt things that happen in the movie in pieces mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. and not as a whole and that is really like it just really hurts the whole show <laughs> which is mm-hmm. really upsetting um because like i just i feel like this show could have been good mm-hmm. but it's not <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. i don't and and unlike unlike the adam family which i don't necessarily think is a good show but i think has the potential to be good i don't know how to fix this show Mm-hmm. You know, I think you have to go back in time and get the real Tim Minchin to write it. Unfortunately, yeah. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Is like I think you have to because like with the Adam Sandler, I think you can take this book and this this score and re- reprise it with a, maybe a few edits. I even think if you get the right cast, you could reprise it without any edits to the book. Like, mm-hmm. and it would go well with with Beetlejuice. I feel like you need a total like you have to start over. Yeah, you have yeah. to completely start yeah. over because it doesn't make any sense. All right. Well, let's go through uh, a terribly dramatic <laughs> voting procedure here. <laughs> it could go, it could go either way at this point, I suppose. But uh, let's let's throw it first to Jason. Jason, uh, in a musical theater death match, who's going to win, Beetlejuice or the Adams Family? The Adams Family. Would you care to support your choice at all? I feel like I have. Just going back, if I can just direct us back to the lyrics with the whole being dead thing for a second. (laughs) I mean, this thing's just full of groaners, you know? Um, God, namaste, you freaking posers. Go, God, I can't, I can't get into it anymore. I can't. It's bad. And it's, it's, oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's like, it's like to the point where it's like trying to be so self-aware that it makes itself like obsolete. If you're gonna have a lyric in your song where you tell say you're gonna kill me if I use my cell phone, okay, fair enough. But you need goodwill to have that sort of like interplay with the audience, and you did not establish it at all. No, right. you started with a with a song about a dead woman, like like teenage sadness. I don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> it sucks, man. It's a bummer. Yeah. Kelsey, can we get your official vote on the record? I mean, obviously, the right answer is. The Adams Family is the clear out-and-out winner here. I think that Beetlejuice has some good songs. It's got a good karaoke quotient. Better karaoke quotient than than The Adams Family. But yeah. as a show, it is yeah. markedly worse. <laughs> uh, so the Adams it's hard Family, to disagree with all that. The Adams Family has to be my vote. It's hard to disagree with that. Uh, I'm going to unanimously agree this is our first <laughs> three and oh vote yeah. here on musical theater deathmatch it's gonna happen um, sometimes it's a deathmatch but you know sometimes we agree right and i i would say that you know three and oh votes are maybe more of a deathmatch than always having a one and two but that's just me anyway um <laughs> we, we killed I, we I killed beetlejuice this. even though he's already dead hey i walked into this knowing adam family pretty well like knowing the music at least and knowing full well that I didn't think it was particularly memorable. I didn't think it was particularly clever. And I was really prepared for Beetlejuice to win. Uh, And when I started the album, I was like, yeah, I think this can get it. Uh, (laughs) But, but man, I don't think I've ever been so let down by a, by a book ever. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, Andrew. It's just really nice to hear you say that because today when I was revisiting the Beetlejuice soundtrack, which the soundtrack, because it is free from the awful book, actually does give you a slightly more positive impression of the show. Right. Uh, I got to the first Adam and Barbara number and something about the way that is composed uh, and sung by uh, uh, by um, Robin Carey. I was like, this is, this is d- directly designed to make Andrew think the show is good. <laughs> This is playing yeah. to every weakness Andrew has about musical theater, <laughs> and I'm worried it's going to trick him into thinking the show was good. So I'm glad, I'm glad you you broke through that. Um, because like my thing is like I would watch a weird freaking like 
satire musical about Adam and Barbara because I think that right. that song was good and I think that Carrie and Rob are like so talented in general <laughs> and but yeah no I I totally agree with you Andrew that like I I've been somewhat familiar with the Adam Stanley for a while and I kind of expected Beetlejuice to do better than it did and like most of the time when a musical has a bad book it is redeemed by the music a lot of the time this mm-hmm. like I have never I've never been so like I've never seen a musical so let down by its book, so pulled yeah. out of like even mediocrity into <laughs> badness by its right. book. <sighs> oh boy! Well, um... <laughs> anyway, so the winner of this death match is the Adams family, which you know they are the the all time winners of death related things. So I feel like that is right. <laughs> Still the champ. Still, Still the, the champ. So uh, we we can cut this if you guys don't want to do it, but um, listeners of your podcast know uh, a segment you guys have called Pitch Time. Uh, it's Pitch Time, Pitch Time. Hey, Netflix, don't you want this show? God, I really just don't know. It's Pitch Time. Um, Did we get that? Did we get that? Okay, we got it. We got okay. It. Thank you, Ryan. New tape. Um, but on Pitch Time on your show, you guys will usually have watched something and then try to pitch something adjacent to it and i guess i was kind of curious if the two of you could put your heads together for a second and, and i'm going to ask you this question do you think there are other halloween movies that you would like to see adapted for stage okay do i have to confer with jason because i already know my answer <laughs> yeah i know you're gonna say hocus pocus right that is correct <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a that's a good choice yeah that is correct it already has i think two musical numbers in it um I I think it would be a great show. I think you can get Kenny Ortega to direct it on the stage and <laughs> choreograph it, obviously. Um, I think the the original cast is like such a specific character enough that like there are like I would I would probably cast Carrie Butler to play the Sarah Michelle Geller part in that show <laughs> <laughs> specifically. But I think I think it'd be a, I think it would make a great stage show and I might write it. uh so jason do you want to completely wrest control of that question away from kelsey and (laughs) yeah i mean i i I can you know i can pitch like you know halloween three season the witch as a musical like as much as i want but honestly like no hocus pocus is a perfect answer because it's like it it could be a good musical or could be but it could definitely be good enough right yeah right and the ip is strong enough that you would get that nostalgia grab Mm -hmm. and it honestly it could probably do pretty well it could run for like two or three years. Yeah, easy. It would be chill. Easy. Or it'd be like Elf, right? And they yeah, just bring it back it. every Halloween. They bring it back every Halloween. Yeah, yeah. that's actually pretty good. <laughs> so that's smart. Like, I think it, it, it would be successful enough. Like, I don't think well, it would be like a blockbuster, but I think it would be successful enough and it would be mm-hmm. fun to see. And like, it has such a pastiche and a mood, like, that it would be very adaptable. And it's already campy and like, you yeah. know, it's not like the tone is not so precious that if you make a musical, it's going to disrupt what makes the, the show, the movie good. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right. You, can, you can transfer that energy to Broadway. I mean, hell, Bette Midler's in the movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's already like got that in it. So yeah. it could pretty, yeah, I think that's a good answer. I suspect that Bette Midler is not coming back 20 or 30 years after that movie to be on stage and do it exactly the same way. But listen, that's just me. Who knows? Listen, she did Hello, Dolly. Like, I mean, I think she would probably, she would do like a small featured role if they, if they did something. She'd like the Penny Marshall part in the, in the show. 
in the, in the you know movie. I, I I, sh- I, sh- I shouldn't shit talk Batman for doing Hello Dolly because this is a sidetrack and you can delete this. But I watched the Hello Dolly movie recently. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's great and it it, it completely destroyed the musical uh, movie for for a generation. But it's great. But the woman who's playing um, uh, shit, it's Barbara, right? It's Barbara Streisand. Yeah, I think she did uh, a, yeah. a movie. Yeah, yeah, she's playing Dolly. She's like you know like thirty years too young for that role. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, so so Bette Midler, I guess that, that I'm glad that was an age appropriate casting, even though their yeah. Tony performance is one of the all time worst uh, <laughs> Tony performances ever. Well, because they just had they had like Niles do his thing. Right? They had David Pierce come out in front of a fucking red curtain and do a little like shuffle dance and sing a dumbass song about like I don't know like an, uh, a quarter, a nickel, or something. Yeah, that I don't sounds know. Right. It was so bad. That, yeah, yeah, it was bad. It's, it's about a penny. <laughs> is that what Sarah said? Yeah, <laughs> that, that's what's that's what Sarah said. Aside from um, uh, lo- to, to be in love is the, what's that fucking line from the fuck the Death Cab for Cutie song? Yeah. What Sarah said, "Love yeah. is watching someone die." But yeah, so my my answer for that is obviously Hocus Pocus, and I think it would go really well. Um, I think it would be really good. Well, that was that was great. That was a lot of fun. Um, let's move into our final segment in which we plug and recommend things, Jason. Uh, would you like to plug or recommend anything? Yes. Aside from me and Kelsey's podcast, Ruin My Life, which you can listen to whenever you want. Uh, I'm sure Kelsey's mentioned it before. Uh, I have recently uh, co-written a miniseries of my friend Morgan Stewart's podcast, The Misery Loves Company. It's a sci-fi comedy. It's very good. It's very funny. Morgan typically handles all the writing, but he let me come on and do a little little four episode, you know, a little, little mini run, just to have a little fun with it. And I, I'm very proud of how it turned out, and I think everyone should check it out if they if they feel like it. I just finished it this morning. Uh, it was great fun. I had a great time listening to it. I want to be friends with Bernie. <laughs> um, Kelsey. Oh, and, and, and obviously also, you know, uh, shout out to Nate Young from Cumberland Valley High School <laughs> for his performance as Gomez in this uh, in the in their production of the show, The Adams Family. It's what made me believe the role could live on past. Um, uh, uh, Nathan Lane's performance. Great. And after that reprise of Creepy Old Guy, uh, Kelsey, <laughs> do you have anything you'd like to plug? I mean, obviously, listen to mine and Jason's podcast, Ruin My Life. Um, it's great. We should have a new episode out shortly. The most recent episode is very good. Um, highly recommend. Uh, follow me on Twitter if you want, at Kelsey Rebecca, if you want to hear my sports takes. <laughs> um, and Yeah, but very notably, do not follow me on Twitter. <laughs> I do. I do not recommend you do that. I think you gave out your Twitter handle in the last episode. Well, not the last episode, but the last part of the found episode. So you don't have to worry about this. Yeah. yeah I, I'm just. I'm just saying, if anyone like follows Kelsey and then wants to, like search through her her following or like her retweets to find me, um, not that she retweets me much anymore. Now that her whole thing is about hockey, but whatever. Uh, I, I don't recommend. Tweeted you today. I thought. I don't recommend following me. Is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a good time. I don't have a good time, so why would you? <laughs> Twitter Twitter is poison. Don't actually follow any of us. <laughs> um, but yeah, listen, in, listen to Ruin My Life. Listen to uh, the entirety of Andrew and Sarah's old podcast, Andrew and Andrew Warrior. Um, cover to cover. Cover to cover. That whole shit. Listen to The Misery Loves Company. Like It's important to emphasize the the. Because it's the Misery Loves Company. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, um, it's a company named Misery Loves. That is correct. Um, it's very good. Highly recommend. Yep. Um, and as always, 
Twitter is not poison and I don't think you'll ever find me having said anything like that. Uh, please hire me. I'm funny, I swear to God. <laughs> Ad Fav on Twitter. Um, you can also follow this show on social media. We are at MT underscore deathmatch on Twitter and Instagram or at MT with no underscore deathmatch on Facebook. You can rate and review us. However you found this podcast, we need stars. Please give us five more of them. We might die if we don't get five stars. Um, it's true. Listen, and Ben Brantley has stepped down. There's no one to review this podcast. <laughs> we need you. We need you. And join us next time where our theme is going to be first musicals we saw on Broadway. Spamalot versus The Sound of Music. Have a good night. Go vote. Go vote. Jason, say it. Say it, Jason. Go, go, go vote. <laughs> Um, and then join us next time as we have an episode, which I guess I will be recording the name of later once I figure out which of these four options hi- we're going to go with. I highlighted the one I think we should do. Okay. Uh, and join us next time as we discuss surprisingly good adaptations for the stage. We'll be doing... Wait, is that the one you highlighted? No? No. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, that one. Which you said was... Um, yeah. Fucking Sound of Music, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>